This is an important book, isn't it? I just thank God for His Word. I would be lost without it. I wouldn't know what to teach. I, d I don't have that much material, really. I'd, I'd run out real quick. If, if it was just up to me to come up with things to say uh, on a Sunday morning, but that's not my job. My job is not to come up with things to say. My job is to communicate what's in this, right? And, you know, the, the physical book is just, it's a tool. Um, usually a really well-worn, torn Bible is, is an honored Bible because it means you've been using it, right? You've been in it. Um, but one of the things that I, I do every Sunday is um, I start by reading the passage that we're going to go through, right? And um, this isn't just about me up here uh, on a Sunday morning uh, teaching, and that's, that's part of what's going on. But we're here as a body together to learn from God's Word, right? We're a family. God has put together. The shepherd here is Jesus. The one leading us is Jesus, and I love that, and I love being a family together with you. But so, something I was thinking, just something new we can add to what we do on a normal Sunday morning, um, is to have someone else read that passage at the beginning, and just we'll just honor God's Word that way. It's, it's, it's a special thing to read God's Word, and so certainly we'll be reading it throughout, um, but I've asked Raul if you'd come up just to read our passage this morning from Matthew that we're going to be studying. Thank you, Raul. All right. We are in Matthew chapter 21, uh, reading verses 1 through 17. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of, of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of, and money of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the, the wonderful things he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, do you hear what they are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you, have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise and leaving them, he went out to the city, to Bethany, and lodged there. Actually, we have a few more verses. We're going to do the next section as well. Does that take us? No, that was it. I only gave you to 17. No, actually, that's right. Boy, I'm sitting there just enjoying it, taking it in, and went outside of preacher mode. That's the idea. Praise the Lord for that. Well, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. God, what a gift we have. The very word of God to teach us and instruct us. And I pray that you do that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We finally made it to Jerusalem, right? We've, every week, it's, they've been heading. Ever since Peter confessed 
Christ as, uh, as hey, you are the Christ, there's been a change of direction and they've been headed towards Jerusalem and now they're entering Jerusalem to cries of Hosanna. This is the beginning of the Passion Week. So entering Jerusalem would be Sunday. Palm Sunday is what, what we celebrate. And this week ahead is leading up to the cross, right? To Good Friday and the cross, to Easter Sunday, ultimately. Um, Matthew, uh, we've already kind of seen in the past, he's less interested in, in laying out the, the chronological order of things. Oh, there's, a, there's a chronological order, but he's more interested in putting together things that are important to see side by side, right? Um, and so these two things of Jesus entering into Jerusalem and then Jesus cleansing the temple actually happened on two different days. Uh, one's on Sunday and the next one is on Monday. But we're going to go through Matthew's account and he, he wants us to see these side by side. It's, it's important for us to see that. And so we're going to cover the both this morning. Um, verse 1 now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, Bethpage is the southeast side of, of the Mount of Olives, uh, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her, untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks you to ask anything to you, or if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Everything's laid out. Jesus doesn't have to go in and figure out transportation. Jesus doesn't have to go, which was a busy time in Jerusalem, to order these things together. He is following the will of of the Father, to go to the cross. When we follow the will of the Father to whatever purpose He has set before us, don't ask so much, how is it possible? Ask first, is this what God wants me to do? The same God who set up, I, the, this is just, as a disciple, I guess you've learned just, to just go with what Jesus says. Because if this was the plan, going into busy Jerusalem, you'd be like, Jesus, are you sure this is going to work out, right? But God ordered every step of the way. And this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden." The king. Your king is coming to you. That's who Jesus is, coming on a donkey. What's the significance of the donkey? Well, right there it tells us in humble meekness, the king, the true king, entering in the city. This isn't actually the first time that in the Bible we see a king riding a donkey. There's a few other places in the Old Testament. And there's a significance to that that a donkey, coming in on donkey, is coming in peace. To come in war would become on a horse, right? A horse is able to go to battle. Donkey, not so much. You don't want to take a donkey to battle. I don't know a whole lot about donkeys, but I know enough to know, know I need whatever I'm taking to battle to do what I want it to do. Uh, I don't, donkeys aren't known for that. So he's coming in peace, humble, the king of kings. Look at the response in verse 6. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. Right? It all happened. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks. You know, there wasn't a saddle that came with this donkey. They put, on their cloak, put their cloaks on the donkey and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. This is the treatment of a king. We see this in the Old Testament as well. Say, oh, this is the king coming. Lay down your cloaks. Lay down branches. They're recognizing 
This is the king. This is Messiah. And the crowds went before him, um, that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They were recognizing he is the Messiah. This is straight out of Psalms. Psalm 118. Psalm 118 says, Save us, we pray, O Lord. You know where Hosanna comes from? That's a, a transliteration of the Aramaic. Save us. That's right there. Save us. Hosanna. It, became, it, it turned in, in time into this just jubilation, a, pri- a cry of praise and, and excitement. Hosanna. But in it is, is the very word save us, which I think is amazing because that's what Jesus is there to do. Now, they're, they're expecting the Messiah to save them, but not in, in the way that he is about to. They've been looking for a Messiah. I and mean, you grow up as a Jew, that's what you're excited about. Messiah is going to come someday. When he does, he will destroy our enemies. That's in the prophecy. He's going to come in war and battle. And he's going to judge the world. And, and, and the excitement that you can imagine is going to come within the Jewish community. This is Messiah to come and, and overtake the Romans, to, to, to regain the throne of David in this place. That's what they're expecting. So Psalms 118.25, Hosanna, and then what they say is actually straight out of that psalm. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They, they've grown up knowing Messiah's going to come and here's what we're going to shout, Right? They are recognizing Jesus as he truly is, the Messiah. And notice Jesus is not trying to hide who he is anymore. There's been a good reason. I don't know if you've noticed that every time Jesus would heal someone who's among the Jews, it was different among the Gentiles, but anytime he healed someone among the Jews, he would say, don't tell anybody. Why? Because it wasn't time yet. They'd try to make him king. If they realized he was Messiah and really bought into that, they're going to try to put him on the throne to make him king. And it wasn't time for that yet. Among the Gentiles, he'd heal people and say, go tell everybody, right? Go into town. Tell them what I've done. But among the Jews, it wasn't time yet. He said, don't tell anybody. But now, Jesus, humbly entering into Jerusalem, to the shouts of Hosanna. And he's accepting it because it's right. He is the king. He is the Messiah. What are they saying? In verse... uh, I lost my place. Yeah, back in Matthew 20... Yeah, they were recognizing him as Messiah, speaking words out of the Psalms. And back in verse 5, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold your king is coming to you. That, that's what the prophecy is. Now later on, Jesus wouldn't do the things that they expected him to do, right? He was supposed to come, and that's, that's going to be the beginning of calling out the army, right? That's, that's when we're going to call everybody up to battle and we're going to take over the Romans. He didn't do that. And so those cries would ultimately be crucify him later. But they were right in recognizing him as the Messiah because he is the king. Here's our first point. I think just important for us to, to just recognize Jesus is king. I don't know what your perspective is as you've heard the stories of everybody's had Palm Sundays and it's like, oh, this was, this was the, of the Jews. Their king was coming. And, and the Romans later would put over the top of Jesus on the cross, king of the Jews. More as a mockery, but it was true. He really is their king. But what the Romans didn't realize is he is the king. And there's going to be a day where even those Romans back then will in resurrected bodies, whether they, they believed in Jesus at some point or not, would determine what ends up happening after that. But they would 
and we will all recognize Jesus is the King. It's just something to meditate on. We live in the United States. We live under a governing authority. But right now, there is a true king who has authority over that authority. The nations don't recognize it yet, but they will one day. And the important thing, I think, in, in our hearts and just in our, in our perspective is do you recognize him as king? We, didn't, we haven't grown up in a, in a society under a, a monarchy, right? That's different. You read stories about what it would be like. People get really excited about their monarch. Or it can go really bad when you don't have a benevolent monarch. People are really oppressed. But there's no change in the fact that they are under the authority of this monarch. What, he, what the monarch says goes, right? That is today. Do I see Jesus that way? I live in a kingdom. The world doesn't see it yet, but it's real. Jesus is king. So Jesus is here coming into Jerusalem, the king, in a, in a cosmic, eternal sense, in a very present and real sense, right there. The one who created all things, humble, riding on a donkey, bringing peace, but with every bit of the authority that goes with who he is. So look at what happens. Now, this is the second day, but these are all of the events that go together. Um, in verse 12, Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. What was going on there? Changing money and selling pigeons and other animals. Well, people came to the temple um, to make sacrifices or to give their offering their offering needed, they needed to exchange the Roman coins for the ones that were more exact, that were the right coins. You didn't want your offering to be anything less or, or wrong, so you would exchange your money for the right type of coins to give your offering with. So that was a, a service there. And then you needed to give, you needed to have a pigeon, you needed to have a, uh, an animal to, to, to make your sacrifice. And so there was an opportunity there, a business opportunity to exchange money, Right? and take something off the top, I'm sure, and, and to sell pigeons. But there's a problem with what was going on there. Here's a, um, here's a picture of, let's jump to the, here's a model of the temple, a pretty cool model um, at that time. And these outer courtyards of the temple were called the Gentile courtyards, right? And, and I've highlighted in green, there's a, a, a short wall. There's a wall on either side. Gentiles were not allowed past that wall, right? You had to be a Jew to go past that wall. But Gentiles were invited to come and worship and pray. And there were Gentile believers, Gentiles who believed in the one true God would come to the temple and worship. But there's a problem the Jews had turned those courtyards into marketplaces. There was no place for the Gentiles to come and worship and pray. So Jesus comes into the temple and he takes charge with authority. Now he's come to the temple and done this once before. John records at the beginning of his ministry, he came and he turned over money tables and he, he made a whip and he was getting people out of there. And, and they recognize, hey, prophecy said, zeal for your house will consume him, right? Um, but at that time, they didn't know Jesus so well. They didn't see, oh, this might be Messiah. They're just like, why are you doing this? And, and the authorities questioned him right away. Well, this is different now. 
Jesus, under the shouts of praise as Messiah, as the one who is the king, comes in to the temple and begins to kick everybody out of this area. It's supposed to be there for what? Prayer, especially for Gentiles to be able to come and pray in the temple. And so Jesus says in, in verse 13, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer. It's Isaiah. But you make it a den of robbers, looking to profit rather than allow the nations to come in and worship the one true God. Well, chief priests, scribes, they are not happy. They are fuming. But what can they do? The crowds believe that he is the Messiah, right? So verse 13, he said to them, "Is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them publicly in the center of the temple where everybody can see here is the Messiah. This is a foretaste of, of the future kingdom. Jesus the healer has come. He's making space for, for everyone to come and pray in his house, the nations to pray, and he's healing the sick. Verse 15, But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. You got kids. I, there would be, if we had something like that going on here, the kids would be echoing the shouts like, hey, this is cool, this is a party, right? This, this, what's going on in Jerusalem is a, a crazy stir uh, of people excited that this is the Messiah. They're saying, this is Jesus. He's the one. If they had Twitter, it'd be hashtag Jesus Messiah is trending at the top, right? And the kids are going around in the temple just repeating it. Maybe they've learned that phrase already in school. When the Messiah comes, here's what we're going to say. And the scribes are saying, do you hear what they're saying? That's blasphemy. No, it's not blasphemy because he is the Messiah. He is the son of David. He is the Lord. So Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read? A little tongue-in-cheek there. Yes, they've read. Uh, I guess there is such a thing as holy sarcasm. Have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise. He's accepting the praise. If anyone tries to tell you Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah, just take him here. And there's a lot of other places, too, where he makes it very clear who he is. He is the Christ, right? And then leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Bethany, two miles to the east over the Mount of Olives. That's where he stayed every night. So Jesus came throughout this week, the Passion Week. Jesus and his disciples are staying in Bethany. People were correct in recognizing him as the Messiah, but mistaken in what that meant on that day, on that week, right? They, they were looking for the one who's going to come in battle, and he's coming in peace. But there will be a day when Jesus does fulfill the prophecy that they were looking at. It's kind of hard. You see this prophecy, and and part of it's looking at one time, and part of it's looking at another time. The Messiah is going to come, but they didn't realize the mystery that he was first going to come to provide spiritual salvation, not physical, right? And, and, and that it was going to include the Gentiles. Praise the Lord. It included us. That was a mystery to them. But there is that prophecy that hasn't been fulfilled yet. 
Jesus perfectly fulfilled a lot of prophecy, but there's still a lot left that when he does come, it will be to come in battle, in judgment. So a second point here, and something really cool to see, is that this parallels his future return. There's things to compare and contrast here with when he comes again. And it's exciting to see. Um, I want to jump to a few passages. I'll be jumping all over the place a little bit. Do I have the right thing? I'm going to cheat and go off of a printed paper in the interest of time. All right. Revelation 19. Then I saw. This is, this is John being given a vision of what's going to happen in the future. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, what? A donkey? No, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. This is what they were looking for, but this is what's going to happen. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Oh, I can't wait. Oh. Here's the best part for me, for us, and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen. If you go to the beginning, uh, as you enter into chapter 19, who are the ones arrayed in linen? It's, it's the bride. The, the linen is the righteous deeds of, of the saints, right? That's us. His armies. His armies that don't have to do anything because he fights by the sword of his mouth. He just speaks. But the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. You know... I don't know if any of you have ever been on TV, right? You have your 15 seconds of fame. Hey, on a newscast, there was I, right? This is much better. John saw you and me. I just to think about that. He's been given a vision. Now, I don't know if he picked us out of the crowd. It's a big crowd. But we're there. We're in the Bible. In a vision looking ahead to that time when we're going to be there with Christ among the armies of the saints. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Do you see... He is going to come again, but not on a donkey. There's a contrast. He's going to come on a white horse and with the armies uh, of the saints with him, us, right? And the angels with him as we go into other places to describe it. Um, Ezekiel, I just want to hit that one really quick because it's just looking at, at, at the, what's going to happen in the temple um, that, that didn't happen at that time necessarily. Uh, Ezekiel 43, then he led me to the gate. This is Ezekiel now being given a vision, looking to the future. The gate facing east. See, Jesus coming from the east again. And behold, the glory of God of Israel. That's Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the presence of God coming from the east. If they could see spiritually who was on that donkey, it was the glory of the God of Israel entering from the east, and the sound of his coming was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. He's going to not hide his glory next time. There's not going to be meekness where he conceals the strength and power of, of who he is. He is going to let it be seen, and his glory is going to shine. <clears throat> and the vision I saw was just like the vision that I had seen when he came to destroy the city, and just like the vision that I had seen by the, the Jaber Canal. These are earlier things in Ezekiel. And I fell on my face as the glory of the Lord entered the temple by the gate facing east. The Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court. This is like scene change. I'm, I'm getting brought into the inner court of the temple. And behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Something that hasn't been seen since Solomon's temple. 
to actually have the glory of God fill the temple. And that's what's going to happen in his second coming. And Zechariah, uh, chapter 14, and everyone... Uh, so this is Jesus coming. He's come. He, has, he is coming to battle. He is going to destroy the armies of the nations. And so uh, th that's what's described before this. And then it says in verse 16, Then everyone who survives of all the nations, <clears throat> those who are left that have come against Jerusalem, what are they going to have to do? They're going to go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts. Jesus is going to reign physically from Jerusalem. And the nations of the world are going to be required to come and, and to keep the Feast of Booths. They just had the Feast of Booths. There's a whole big worship service where a bunch of evangelicals had a worship service there this last month celebrating the Feast of Booths. That's going to happen. He's going to require that. And then what happens in the verses, I'm going to skip, but it's, it's going to say what's going to happen to those nations who refuse to do that, right? It's not going to go well. He, when you have Jesus as king, he can say, well, you're not going to get rain. Egypt, you're not coming up. No rain, right? <laughs> Only Jesus can reign uh, and rule in that way. In the verse 20, and on that day there shall be inscribed on the bells of the horses, holy to the Lord, everything in that city. Even the bells on the horses is going to be set apart, holy to God. And the pots in the house of the Lord shall be as the bowls before the altar. And every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holy. Everything, every vessel is going to be holy to the Lord of hosts, so that all who sacrifice may come and take of them and boil meat of the sacrifice in them. You can use anything within Jerusalem. It used to be you had to use specific things set apart. But now, when you come, everything in that city is going to be holy. Everything in that region is going to be holy, set apart to God, and can be used. And here's an interesting thing that just stuck out to me this week. And there shall no longer be a trader or merchant in the house of the Lord of hosts on that day. Now, the way they understood this, and some translations have it also, is to say there won't be a Canaanite, right? Because those were the ones that were the, the merchants, the traders. And, and they saw this as, no, this is going to be holy to the Lord. There won't be any of those outsiders in it. But what did Jesus do when he came into the temple the first time here? He took the merchants that were largely Jews and kicked them out. Why? So that the Canaanites, all of us, the Gentiles, could come and worship in the temple. And so we see, I think, clearly now, more clearly, what this is about. There are no longer going to be anything hindering the worship of God in the temple. And we can come in and use any pot uh, freely, any utensil freely. The, the nations can come in freely to worship and, and praise the Lord in the temple. That's going to be different. But you see, there's, there's similarities here of Jesus' first coming and his second coming. <clears throat> and then Isaiah 56. We see, we see the same thing here. And the foreigners, speaking of this same time, and the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, Right? The nations that join themselves to the Lord to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord and to be His servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain. And what? And make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. This is the burnt offerings and sacrifices of the nations coming in that time. And then what does it say? This is what Jesus was quoting. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. When Jesus was kicking them out of the temple and he was saying, my house should be called a house of prayer, he was pointing us forward to when it will be a house of prayer for all peoples.
We could just sit and meditate on this for hours. The glory of what it's going to be. Jesus is king right now. And he is coming. This is going to happen. And, and we're going to get more information about it. Right? Now, this is my best understanding of these passages. I want to qualify that because there's a lot of great students of God's Word who have different ideas of what's going to happen. I think you just take the pieces and, and if it fits, right? And I think it fits. Looking at the glory of when Jesus is going to return again and He's going to fill the temple with His glory, the whole city is going to be set apart and holy and, and I'm, I'm not going to live in Texas anymore. I'm going to live close to Jesus. I think that's where we will actually. I think it tells us that. We're going to be there. I might come visit Texas just to see what survived. But the glory is going to be there. That's the center of the world over there, as much as we want to think that we are the center of the world. Do we have God's heart for the nations? You see God's heart for the nations? The fact that we're even included shows God's heart for the nations. Do we have that same heart? That all peoples will get to know Jesus, that all peoples have a chance of salvation to accept Jesus. He wants us to have His heart for the nations, even though he's planted us here in Kyle, I praise the Lord for that. He's given us a mission field right here in Kyle. We are part of his work that's going on around the world. And every once in a while, I pray God gives us opportunities to be a part of his work in the nations, to just share in his heart, to share in the work he's doing. I'm, I'm thankful we've got our visitors from Kulea. Uh, here this morning. Welcome, guys. Uh, they're engaged in missions in Tanzania and in, in, Tanz in Kenya. Yes. God's heart for the nations around the world. It's good for us to know what's going on. Well, certainly this parallels what's going to happen in the future, but this also applies to today. Jesus' treatment of the temple. Jesus as king. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul tells the Corinthians, Do you not know that you, you, that's plural. The Texas version says y'all. Y'all <laughs> are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in Y'all, if anyone destroys God's temple, oh boy, that's scary. God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that, y'all are that temple. Do you think Jesus has the same zeal for the spiritual temple that is his church as he does for the physical temple? I think so. I think that, that tells me that same zeal to come in and say, what is this that doesn't belong and overturn tables and clear out things? We are the temple of God. Ephesians chapter 2 at the end of Ephesians, it describes that, that based on this foundation of the, of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the cornerstone, a spiritual temple is being built. We see the same thing in James, right? We are living stones built together, what? As a place that's a, a, together, a dwelling place for God. Just as we see the Holy Spirit the, and, and the presence and glory of God and Jesus coming from the east to fill the temple in the future, now God fills His temple with His presence by the Holy Spirit. It's not a future thing, it's a now thing. We are together a spiritual temple. Now, everywhere the Bible talks about that spiritual temple, it's in the plural. It's always with y'all. 
We're not a bunch of little temples walking around. We are a spiritual temple being built and put together. Together. As we consider the temple that is now and, and God's view of it and the condition of it, we can't just look individually. All right, how's my temple doing? I have to look at it through Scripture, through God's eyes. How are we doing is always the question. Jesus entered the temple humble and meek to bring about salvation, to go to the cross, to pay for the sin of the world so that a spiritual temple could be built of people who are committed to God, who are followers of Christ. Matthew eleven twenty nine. Earlier on in Matthew, Jesus said, Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Follow me. That's what taking his yoke, to be a follower of Jesus. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's why Jesus was coming in in meekness and humility. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, to lay down his life for us and to give us this invitation. Come to me. I will give you rest. Pictured even as he enters Jerusalem. And what does he do when he enters our hearts? He kind of does the same thing he did in the temple back then. So, Holy Spirit does a, a washing, cleansing job, starts kicking things out of, of our life, out of our heart, and turning things over, turning the tables, right? Titus 3 5. He saved us. Not because of works done by us. Not because we had this temple all ready for him. No, it was a mess when he entered it. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. That's kicking things out of our life. That's turning over tables. That's cleansing us with his righteousness. Every time I mess up, and I let things back into my life that, that shouldn't be in a place where the Holy Spirit dwells. I can confess those things to Christ. And what is the promise? He'll forgive me and cleanse me. Always ready to clean up what's in here. That same thing we saw Jesus physically doing in the temple. He comes in and cleans house. And, and it becomes a place where we can worship and enjoy but remember, it's not individual temples he cleans house in. It's hard for us to think that way in this very independently minded country we live in, right? Everyone has their own individual opportunity and independence. But we are a people with a king, and he sees us together. Our relationships with each other are a vital part of the condition of the temple. If I say, my life is, I'm following Jesus just right, but I don't want to go to church. I'm not following Jesus. I'm following Jesus. I got everything right between me and him. But I never want to, you know, if it ever comes up, I'm never talking to those believers over there. And nope, we're never going to. What's my heart towards my brothers and sisters in Christ? I've got to lay that stuff down. Resentment, right? If there's slander coming out of my mouth, then the temple is not in good order. How are we doing together? We have to look at ourselves together as a people in Hope Church, what is the condition of this temple? It's a good thing for us to think about. I love what's happening in Hope Church. Every time I get a report of someone caring for someone else, someone loving someone else, that's health. That's a place for God to work. That's a place for the Spirit to move. That's a place 
for the presence of God to dwell among his people. It's a process. We're not a perfect temple by any means. I'm not a perfect stone in this building, right? Individually, but together. God's design is not that we figure this out individually, that we're encouraging one another. If you're, if you're not part of a small group, let me encourage you. Figure, there's small groups that are there, different nights of the week, to, that would love for you to come and join them. Why is that important? Just so that I, I get a good experience? No, it's, it's vitally important for, for the body of Christ to, to be able to get past what... How, how deep of conversations can we have on a Sunday morning? It's, we need to be able to actually have a little bit of life together in this busy life that we have to be able to see, hey, there's a need, or I need encouragement, or this has been a hard week, or this has been a great week, praise the Lord. But to be able to encourage one another, that's important to God. That's the condition of His temple. I love this passage. I love the Passion Week. It's a place we see the glory of Christ, His saving work, the humility of our Lord and King, Jesus. I want more to wake up every morning and just feel and understand what it is, the reality that I'm not just an American citizen. But there's a real kingdom, there's a real king who truly rules spiritually and one day will rule physically. And he's my king, my Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the life, the joy that we have through the work of your Holy Spirit working in our hearts. to take this ragtag bunch of sinners and put us together into a place that's, that's qualified even to be a dwelling place for the presence of God is only possible by your love and your grace and your mercy. So we thank you for that, God. Thank you for including us in your plan. Lord Jesus, you came for the Jews first, but also for us. We didn't deserve that. It's by your love and your grace upon us that we're even allowed to be a part of your kingdom. Lord Jesus, rule and reign in our hearts, in the desires of our hearts, in the things that we want, the things that we pursue. Your king, your word has authority for us to listen and to obey. Let that be the condition of the heart in this church, to follow and honor you, Lord Jesus, as King. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.
compares. Church, this week, just know you have a king. You're not doing this alone. A king who promised what king can say, I'm going to be with you, never leave you, to every single one of his subjects, only Jesus. And he is with you. When you wake up in the morning, your king has a, has a job for you. He has work for you to do. When you go to bed at night, he's already taking care of the next day. You don't need to worry. We have a good, good king that we serve. Go in the Lord, church. I love you. And don't forget, 3 o'clock, I'm going to be down at the land. Anybody that wants to 